Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Good to see all of you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Michael, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I am excited about this passage. We're about to jump into Luke chapter 5, where Jesus calls Peter. And before we jump in, let me just help you see why we're studying this passage today at the start of this new year. We're actually preparing to launch into a new sermon series next Sunday, but we wanted to start here in 2022 with Luke chapter 5, because this is a passage that we've been meditating on as a staff and as a team of elders. Your leadership team here at Seven Mile Road has not been able to get over this passage ever since we went away on a retreat at the end of September, just a couple months ago. Um, Every year we go away for a time of strategic planning, and this year in particular, um, we, you know, we're thinking about all the different ideas and all the things that we wanted to accomplish, and we just felt like the Lord was telling us to set aside our agenda and just spend time in His presence. And what we ended up doing is we, we studied some key passages from the book of Luke and from the book of Acts, asking the question, Lord, what does it mean to live as the people of God on the mission of God, empowered by the Spirit of God? And we studied a number of passages, but this is the one that we started with. And there's this this one phrase in verse 5 that has just kind of hooked us. And it's this phrase when Peter says, At your word, I will let down the nets. You see, right before that, Peter's going to say, We toiled all night and caught nothing. And as a staff, as a leadership team, we realize that we can relate all too well to Peter in that phrase. And maybe you can as well. Maybe you know what it feels like to just say, hey, we're just running really hard with lots of ministry activity, lots of frantic activity, trying to honor the Lord from a sincere heart, wanting to glorify Him and honor Him. But we're just doing a lot of things without actually seeing much fruit produced, without actually listening for what He has to say, letting Him set the agenda. You know, it reminds me of this passage in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus calls His disciples in that gospel, and it says, He went up on the mountain and called to Him those whom He desired, that they might be with Him, and that He might send them out to preach and to do all sorts of ministry. And so what I want to invite each of you into is what we have been meditating on and praying through as a staff and leadership team, and it's this. What does it mean to live as an at-your-word type of people? What does it mean? What would it mean for Seven Mile Road as a church family to really prioritize above all sorts of activities that are really good just to be with Jesus? and to trust Him day by day to send us out, to trust Him day by day to let us know what it looks like to let down our nets for a catch, to not just try to get busy doing things for Him, but just to be with Him. What would it look like for us to make that our number one aim as we head into this year? And what I believe we're going to see in Luke's gospel here in chapter 5 is that when Jesus speaks to His disciples— When we live like this, with this anticipation and waiting on Him, just wanting to be with Him, when He does speak to His disciples, it is both deeply personal and communal. It's also deeply humbling. It's going to require humility to receive what He has to say. But finally, it is deeply freeing and joy-producing. So let's dive in and see this in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him 
to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee, by the way. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Let me set the scene real quick before we see how personal this was for Peter and yet communal and that it implicated these other disciples. Picture yourself by the Sea of Galilee, standing on the shore with hundreds, maybe thousands of people. This large crowd that has gathered because they have seen or heard about who Jesus is. He started his ministry just a chapter before in Luke chapter 4. And after overcoming every temptation from the enemy, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit and he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He's preaching the word of God with authority. He's healing those who are sick. He is casting out demons. And there is a buzz around Jesus' ministry. All these people have gathered to see, could this be the one that our hearts are longing for? Could this be the Messiah, the King, the Son of David? And picture yourself among the crowd, feeling the, the sea breeze, perhaps the warm air, usually a little bit easier for us to picture in Houston, not like today, but picture the breeze in your face. And Jesus sees these two boats by the lake, and he very intentionally goes to one of the boats and one of the fishermen because he knows that this one is Simon's. And he says, hey, Simon, will you put out a little so that I can teach from just a ways from the shore. So picture Simon in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus sits down, kind of like in the Sermon on the Mount, when the crowds come to him and he goes up on the mountain and sits down. The posture that a rabbi would take when they begin to teach. And, and just picture Jesus' words echoing off the water and all the people listening and hanging on every word. And Peter himself is sitting there listening to what Jesus has to say. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns to Simon. Once he's wrapped up his sermon, I wish we knew what he was preaching in that particular moment. But picture the murmur from the crowd, everyone processing, wow, did you hear what he said about this? And Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Simon, I have something for you. This personal moment between Jesus and Simon, did you see it in verse four? He said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, before we see how humbling of a command this would be for Peter to receive. Let me first just help us picture where this is for Peter. This is his place of work. Jesus is standing in his boat. This is his livelihood. This is how he makes his living for his family. And he's an expert in this particular industry, in this particular career. And, and Jesus comes to him and meets him on his turf, in his boat, and he says, hey, Peter, I have something specific that I want to say to you. I want to show you who I am. Now, up until this point, Peter has an idea of who Jesus might be. If you look back at chapter 4 and verse 38, it says this, And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. So they're acquaintances. Simon has welcomed Jesus into his home before, and look what happened. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So Peter knows that the word of Jesus has authority and has power. He's seen Jesus move in somebody's life near him, his mother-in-law. But it actually gets even closer to home than that. Peter 
had a brother named Andrew. You don't read his name here in this passage, but Andrew, you'll read about him in the other, in the other gospel accounts. Andrew is not only Peter's brother, he's his partner in crime in his fishing business. He's his wingman. They, they stick together. And Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist before Jesus stepped on the scene. You can read in John chapter 1 about how Andrew and John, son of Zebedee, who we're going to read about in this story, they were following John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, after me, one is coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And and then he said, when Jesus walks up, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew and John said, now we're going to follow him. And Andrew has come to Peter and said, we found him. We found the Messiah. This is him. And so Peter's heard all of this, but he has to decide for himself who is Jesus. And Jesus in this moment has stepped into his boat, has stepped into his life and says, Peter, I want to show you who I am. Do you see how personal this is? And what we're going to see later on, if you were to flip over uh, later on in Peter's story in John chapter 21, I'll let you do this for your homework, but this isn't the only time that Jesus does this miracle. He actually recreates this miracle three years later after he died on the cross and rose again. And in Peter's greatest moment of shame and failure, after he had denied Jesus three times, Jesus stands on this same shore. Maybe in the same spot, we don't know. And Peter has gone back to fishing. I mean, he had hoped that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, but he died on the cross and his hopes are in the past tense. And um, he just does what he knows how to do. He gets busy, goes back to work and brings the other disciples with him and they're fishing. But that night they caught nothing. You'll read in John 21. Remember the story? And Jesus says, children, do you have any fish? And they say, no. He says, why don't you try casting it on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And what we're about to read in this story happens in that moment as well. And they realize it's actually John who is here for this as well, says to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter, he's calling you. The same one that called you when you first met him in Luke chapter 5, he's calling you now saying, I am still, my arms are open to you. I desire a relationship with you. I'm not just coming for your mother-in-law or for your brother. I have stepped into your life. And here's the question. Will you trust me? Do you know who I am? Will you place your faith in me? I just want to ask you the question, when was that for you? Have you had a moment where Jesus didn't only work in the life of somebody that you know and love, some family member or friend, but when he spoke to you in your heart language on your turf in your life and said, hey, I'm calling you. I want you to believe in me. I've come to set you free. I've come to forgive you. I love you. Not just, you're not just one person in the crowd for me. You are the one that I came for. And my forgiveness is available to anyone who will trust in me, but I'm coming individually for you in this moment. That's what happens to Peter in this moment. And I just want us to see that it affects all the people in Peter's life. It affects John and James. It affects Andrew. Their faith is strengthened because of what Jesus is doing in Peter's story. And so let me ask you, when was that moment in your life? Will you allow your heart and your mind, your imagination to run back to that moment where Jesus first called you? I know for me, I was, a, I was an eight-year-old kid at a summer camp 
and I remember hearing the gospel for the first time, even though I've been raised in a loving family that told me about Jesus, it's like I heard it for the first time. My heart was finally um, listening. And, and I remember somebody explaining how, how all people are sinful and that God is holy. And the only way for God to dwell with a sinful people is that he had to send his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose again and is alive. And anyone who believes in him can be saved. And my heart, it's like the Holy Spirit opened my heart to really receive that and believe it. But it wasn't until years later that I really learned to hear his voice. I, I heard him speaking to my heart that day through his word and by his spirit. But then I just was a kid and got back to my normal rhythms and never really learned to listen to his voice. And I remember there's one particular year, uh, my freshman year in high school. Remember how distracted you were as a freshman in high school? I wanted to make the basketball team. I'm taking biology class. But for whatever reason, the Lord just grabbed a hold of me and placed a, a friend and a mentor in my life and said, hey, Mike, let's read through the Bible together this year. And I remember starting to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I have no idea how I finished it. I mean, I, it, was, it was God's grace alone that allowed me to make it through Leviticus and Numbers. And, uh, but I just kept going. I'd read in the morning, and then I'd have to go to school, and I'd come back after a long day. And I would just sit in my bed, like 8.30 at night, and just want to finish the reading because, because not only was I seeing amazing things in the Word of God. And we believe that deeply around here. When you open your Bible, God opens His mouth. He speaks through His Word. It's living and active. But there were also moments where I would be reading something, and it became more than just words on a page in a historical book for me. The Spirit of God took that truth and pressed it into my heart. And, I, and He helped me realize this is true. It's true over your life. Jesus really loves you. The Lord was ministering to me and helping me see that how personal this was. And as a result, I remember getting to go back to, uh, to meet with my mentor and friend and telling him, you're not going to believe I was reading this passage and this is what God was putting on my heart and how much that encouraged him as well. Do you see that when Jesus speaks to his disciples, it's deeply personal and yet communal? And so as we launch into this year, it is our prayer for each one of you, not that you would have some long to-do list of all of the great things you're going to accomplish for Jesus this year, but that you would just be with him. Because if you will prioritize being with him and listening for his voice through his word and by his spirit, that's going to affect all of us. Like that is going to strengthen everyone around you, the fact that you would be with him. And what we're going to see in this next part is he's going to let you know when it's time to let down the nets for a catch. He is going to work powerfully through you if you will just be with him. And if that feels like foreign and a long way off, if that feels like I don't know where to get started, we would... We would love for all of you to come this Wednesday for a time of worship and prayer and time together. And not only are you invited a little stronger than that, your presence is requested. We would love for you, please come on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And also, even if you're not able to be there, but hopefully you all will come, would you take that day as a day to fast and pray? Maybe you just take one meal that day that you're going to set aside for fasting and prayer, seeking the Lord with us, saying, Lord, would you show us what does it mean to be with you this year and to actually spend time with you and to seek out your heart and not just try to do things for you? Because what we believe that the Lord is, is doing in our midst and what he's putting on our heart is, 
is not to do more ministry activity without waiting for his presence and his power. He's saying, I just want you to be with me. I will empower you for the work that I have. And let me just also say about fasting and prayer, if I can, this is not something that we do to try to twist God's arm and like make him listen to us as if he's some sort of reluctant hearer of prayer, but it's actually so that God can get our attention, right? It's so that we humble ourselves and say, Lord, you have our attention. We're listening. Speak, Lord. We, we need you more than we need this next meal. We need your word. We need your spirit to speak to us. Would you take that posture this Wednesday and let that carry over to how you approach the rest of this year? Because what we see in this passage is when Jesus speaks, it's personal, and yet it's also communal. But not only that, it's deeply humbling. It requires humility to receive it. Look at this in Peter's story. Look at verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I love verse 5 because you, you can almost feel the exasperation in Peter's voice, can't you? I mean, he's, he's being respectful and he speaks to Jesus as master, but you, you feel it in what he says in that first sentence. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. I mean, just picture this. Peter is a professional fisherman. He fishes these waters all the time. And he knows, like historians will tell us and scholars tell us, that it is nighttime and near the shallows where fishermen would catch their greatest catches. That's where they would spend most of their time in the Sea of Galilee. But here it is daytime, and Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to let, I want you to let out your nets for a catch in the deep. And Peter is like, you almost feel him saying, I mean, I'm a professional fisherman. What do you do again? And he's, and he's like, here you are in my workplace. This is my boat. This is where I make my living. These are my nets. And I actually just clean them, by the way. And I'm exhausted. I've been up all night and I just want to go home and be done. But Jesus is inconveniencing Peter because he loves him. He has just stepped right into his business, right into his world. And he says, Peter, I want to show you who I am. And that word master, Jesus uh, Peter's going to call Jesus two different words, two different titles in this passage. This first one, master, is something that we only find in the gospel of Luke. And it's interesting. It's a respectful title for someone in authority, but it's a little more generic. It's almost like saying, uh, you're the boss and I'm your employee, right? So there's like a respect, but I don't really know you that well. You're just kind of the boss man. And so like, all right, boss man, you say, let down the nets. Like, let me just tell you, I've been fishing all night here and haven't caught anything, but out of reverence for your authority, I'm going to go ahead and let down the nets. Um, and, and, you know, what's so amazing about this is Peter is taking a step of faith as a disciple, even though he doesn't he doesn't know Jesus personally yet. He knows him as an acquaintance. He's heard about him. But this is, this is the posture of a disciple right here. When he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. This is the first step in Peter's discipleship journey right here. He's saying, Lord, I hear you speaking to me. And I have a lot of questions. And, and this is against kind of conventional wisdom. It's kind of offending my intellectual sensibilities here. 
Like I've been fishing all night and I know a lot about these waters, but Lord, you say this. And so at your word, I'm going to take a step of obedience. I'm going to take a step of faith. Do you feel that? And look at what happens as a result. Their nets that they just cleaned are now breaking. And they signal, they say, hey, James and John, you've got to come over here. And both of them have a boat full of fish, completely humbled by the carpenter, the rabbi from Nazareth, who said, hey, would you trust me? This is Emmanuel, God with us, who just stepped into their life saying, when I speak, will you listen? I want to show you who I am. I've come to rescue you. I'm meeting you in your place of work. And when I speak, it holds authority over every area of your life. And so what we've been chewing on and processing as a team of elders and staff is what does it mean for us to live as an at-your-word type of people? Knowing that it's humbling to live at Jesus' word, to acknowledge we don't know how to do life best. We don't know what the strategic plan should be. Jesus, we're waiting on you. Would you speak because your servants are listening? Do you feel the humility in that? We can't do life on our own. We need you. We need your voice. We need your spirit. You know, this, this came home to me uh, this past week. I was spending time with family and got to hear my brother-in-law uh, his name is Jacob. He lives in Fayetteville, Arkansas with his family. They have three young kids. He was telling me about how their daughter, Monroe, who is six years old, recently trusted in Jesus. She recently gave her heart to the Lord just a couple weeks ago. And I was like, how did that happen? Tell me the story. They have been doing an Advent devotional, and they've been talking about Jesus. But it wasn't any of their set-aside planned times of talking about Jesus, of course when her heart was ready. It was one Sunday morning and they're like frantically rushing to get out the door to make it to church on time. And Monroe had a stomach ache and was like, Daddy, I don't feel good. I don't feel like I can go to church this morning. And Jacob says that he just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, just stay with her. And so he sends his wife and other two kids, hey, y'all go and I'm gonna stay back with Monroe. And as soon as the garage door closed, Monroe starts peppering him with questions. It's like her heart was just ready. And she, you know, she said this thing at one point. She said, Daddy, we've been talking a lot about Jesus. I know a lot about Jesus, but I want to know him. I want to know him, Dad. And so Jacob got to explain to her, what does it mean? What does it mean to admit that you're a sinner and to believe in Jesus, to trust him and to commit to following him? And Monroe prayed in that moment, to trust in Jesus and gave her heart to the Lord. This beautiful moment, and Jacob and I were talking about this. He's like, yeah, it was kind of like the Lord was saying, why don't you let out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? He felt the Lord just prodding his heart, just, just putting this on his heart by his spirit. And he said, okay, Lord, at your word. This isn't how I planned this to go down. This isn't, uh, this is kind of inconvenient, like we had some place to be. And yet, at your word, I will let down the nets for a catch. Do you see how the Lord will work if we will be a people who learn to live as his disciples in this way, saying, Jesus, we're just going to be with you, and we're going to learn to listen to your voice, and when you speak, we will let down the nets. But we're more focused on being with you than doing a lot of things for you. We trust you that you are going to bring in you were going to bring in a, a harvest that we could never accomplish on our own. I mean, think about it in Peter's life. Before we move on to this, this final point, think about Jesus when he calls Peter in this moment and says, I want you to be a fisher of men and women. 
Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who sees the end from the beginning, not only does he have authority over the fish and over the sea and over the waves and over the wind, he knows that Peter, on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, when the Spirit of God comes at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that Peter's going to stand up full of the Holy Spirit and say, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And 3,000 people are going to come to faith just like that. Not because Peter had some great strategy or some great plan, because he had learned to listen to the voice of the Lord when he says, hey, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter learned to say, at your word. And may that be true of us. May we be a people who learn to live in this place saying, Lord, we're just going to be with you. And when you say, let down the nets, we will. Because when Jesus speaks to his disciples, it's personal and yet communal. It requires humility to receive it. But look at what it results in. And don't miss this. It results in freedom and joy when Jesus speaks. It's my prayer that that we will all leave this time saying, Lord, we want to hear from you. Whatever else we do in 2022, we just want to hear from you and be with you and let you speak to us and let you love us. We just trust all the results, all the activity to you. Look at what happens in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Do you see how Peter responds? He doesn't say, hey, Lord, uh, let me get these nets fixed so that we can really kind of ramp up our fishing business here because now we have like the master here who can show us where to catch everything and now I'm going to focus in on my career and everything's going to be great. No, what he does is what everyone does when they come face to face with God. When they see him in his glory, Peter hits his knees. He gets down at Jesus' knees and he says, Lord, I have no business being in your presence because I am a sinner And I now see that you are the Lord. You aren't just some generic master. You are the Lord of all. You are holy. Think about it in Isaiah's story. Remember the scene in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees the Lord seated on his throne with the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Remember what Isaiah does? He immediately says, Woe is me, for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have your eyes seen the King? Because Peter in this moment comes face to face with Emmanuel, God with us, who just stepped into his boat, stepped into his life, and he immediately is confronted with the fact that there's none like him. He is holy. He's in a category all by himself in terms of his perfection and his, and his majesty and his goodness and his power. And Peter hits his knees and says, Lord, you would be just to get as far away from me as possible because I'm not a good person. I am a sinner. I am a great sinner. But look at what Jesus says. 
Jesus turns to Simon in verse 10 and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You know, we see in lots of Jesus' interactions with people, him saying, don't be afraid. We see him saying, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. If you were to just read on through Luke, you'd hear him when he calls Matthew, when he calls Levi. Just later in, in the same chapter, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I came for you, Peter. The Son of Man came to lay down his life as a ransom for many. I came to pay for all of the sins of your past, and I have a bright future for you. From now on, you will be catching men and women. It reminds us of what happens in that story I already alluded to in John 21. Do you remember when Jesus cooks breakfast for Peter and reinstates him? In his time of greatest shame, the moment of, of, uh, of his greatest awareness of his failure, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And gives him three chances to say in all the ways that he had said, I don't even know you. I don't even know Jesus. Peter gets to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, I know. Now I'm moving forward. I already paid for that sin. I've washed you clean. My grace has covered your shame. Let's move forward. Feed my sheep. At the end of that exchange, he says, follow me. Recreating the same moment where he invited Peter to follow him, he says at the, uh, later in, in Peter's story, he says, follow me. And I wonder for any of you today, if you feel like maybe some of you are in Luke chapter 5 and Jesus is beckoning you right now, saying, I am co I've come to meet you right in your place of greatest shame and I've come to rescue sinners like you. Would you just turn to me? It's going to require humbling yourself, admitting that you can't do life on your own, admitting that you are a great sinner in need of a great Savior, the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Maybe that's where you are today, or maybe you feel like you're three years down the road, you're years down the road of walking with Jesus, but you have just over and over failed him and just denied him and turned away from him. Do you know what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus at the end of his book? He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's still inviting his disciples, come and have breakfast. My grace will cover your shame and I have a bright future for you. Would you trust me in the present and find the freedom and the joy that I offer? And that's exactly what Peter does. When they had brought their boats to the land, in verse 11, they left everything and followed him. You remember a time in your life where you didn't care about money, you didn't care about your career, you didn't care about any number of worldly desires. All you cared about was just, and whatever, whatever else I do with my life, I'm going to follow him. I know for me, as I've been meditating on this, this idea of being with Jesus before and with a greater priority than trying to do a bunch of activity for Jesus, I know where that hits close to home for me is what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2 to the church at Ephesus. He says, I see you doing all these things, but I have this against you. You have forgotten the love that you had at first. Like, remember when you were that kid sitting on your bed reading Leviticus, right? And I met with you in those moments. Now, there's college football on, and there's this Netflix show, and there's all these things. Like, repent and do the things that you did at first. I'm still speaking. I want to meet with you. I want to tell you how much I love you. Would you just be with me and quit trying to just be 
my disciple on my mission in your own power. I just want to invite all of you, would you step into this call to be the people of God on the mission of God, empowered by the Spirit of God? Because there is joy there. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13? He tells the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. And I love this. This is what Peter's doing right here. It says this in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's what Peter and these disciples are doing. They're saying, Jesus, only you can set me free. Only you can wash away my sin. Only you can heal me. And so I'm going to live at your word. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave everything. You call the shots, Lord, in every area of my life, including my workplace, including my family, including every interaction I have with people. I just want to live in your presence and trust you. When you say let down the nets, I'm going to live at your word. Amen? Let me pray for us.